Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Today we are continuing our series, Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And uh, we are closing out chapter 3 today. And what we've been learning is that the book of Ephesians is really divided right in half. There's six chapters, and the first three are more of the theological side, who God is and his character. And so what we've been learning is uh, who God is. And when we know who God is, then we've been saying we'll work out the practical side, four through six. We will then know what to do. And so there's a part of me that's really sad that we're closing this part out, but the way that we're closing out chapter three is through Paul's prayer. In fact, the title of uh, today's message is Avoiding the Blackout. Now, I don't know if you remember and a strange event that happened back in August of 2003 or not, but uh, the city that never sleeps started having a blackout. New York City experienced a citywide power outage. And CNN and Fox News were covering this story, and they were looking at a city that was going through rolling blackouts, streets of New York just completely going dark. Buildings that were once illuminated and lit up are now dark and don't shine anymore. And as they're witnessing all of this happening, they're seeing that there was a hope-filled nightlight in New York, and that was the Statue of Liberty. Now, the commentators and anchors, they all scrambled to try to figure out what was going on. How could this be? You know, when everything else was going pitch black, this statue remained lit up. And they were wondering, how could this be? And what they discovered was that the Statue of Liberty was connected to a different power source. It was connected to a power grid in New Jersey, to which I thought that's probably the greatest thing that's come out of New Jersey, is that. (laughs) But... Uh, they found out that they were connected to a different power grid. And so even though everything in New York City was going black and losing power, the Statue of Liberty remained shining and bright because it was plugged into a different power source. So the question I want to ask you, Awaken Church, today is what power source are you plugged into? When your life goes black, when there's a power outage in your life, when you get that health diagnosis, when you're served those divorce papers, when you lose that job, when you are tempted to sin in a particular way, what power source are you connected to? See, Paul is showing us here that we should be people who are connected to God. And one of the ways that we stay connected to God is through one of the most powerful tools that he's given us, and that is through prayer. And so Paul gives us some direction and some ways on how we can pray. So when it comes to prayer, if you've ever felt lost or a little intimidated on how to pray or what to pray for, Paul has your back here. So look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church said, amen. What a powerful prayer. 
You know, when I read Paul's prayer, I often go, man, I've got no business praying. <laughs> like, I just, I don't pray like that. And maybe you could read this and feel a little intimidated as well. Like, I don't pray like Paul. But we shouldn't be discouraged by that. In fact, we should learn from Paul's prayer because we can pray like Paul. In fact, Paul gives us four ways here in his prayer on how we can pray. And the first one is we should pray in the spirit of unity. We should pray in the spirit of unity. Paul here is praying with a sense of unity in his heart. And you might think, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the first three words that he says in verse 14. He says, for this reason. And that's a very important transitional statement. Paul is like, based off of everything that we've been talking about, everything that we've been going through, everything that's been uh, talked to you, written in this letter, now I'm going to pray. And so what are the things that he's been talking about? Well, it's everything we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And really, it's starting everything from chapter 2, verse 11, all the way up until this point. And Paul's been talking about the unity that we have because of what Jesus has done. And he's reminding us that we're no longer strangers or aliens, but we're all unified under Jesus. And he's reminding us that we're citizens of a new kingdom, that we used to be from different families, but we're now part of one family, that we used to be part of different households, but now we are part of the building blocks of God's household. And Paul is driven to prayer because he looks at the church and he goes, none of this has a shot at working. Unless God shows up, unless God does it. Because Paul's looking at the church in Ephesus. He's looking at the people in Ephesians. And he's going, man, I'm seeing everything that you're going through and everything that's tearing you apart, everything that's pulling you guys apart. And he's like, man, these people, they don't have anything in common. They come from different cultures. They come from different backgrounds. They have different convictions. They have different preferences. And Paul is looking at all this and he's so convicted. He's so driven to this. He says, for these reasons, I'm praying for you. Praying for unity in the church. Now we still face these problems today. And so to illustrate this point, that there are many things that are pulling us apart or differences that we have, I'm going to make us do a little exercise to prove Paul's point here. So uh, don't be scared. If it's your first time here, we're not going to hand you a microphone or anything. It's simply, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And uh, all you're going to do is just raise up your hand as the answer that you prefer. All right. So uh, if you're watching online, you could do an emoji. We have moderators who would love to interact with you as well. If you're in our masked only venue, participate as well. We can't see it, but the people around you can see you. So uh, it'll be good. So let me see, just to start off, let's warm it up. Let's see our hands up in the air a little bit. All right. Wave them around. Let me see. Our hands are working. Some of you guys are like, uh, you know, just stretch it out. Okay. It's okay. We're in church, you know, get a good stretch in. All right. So here we go. Now the Mississippi, I think we could all agree divides like the United States almost in half, right? So there's a West and an East side. Okay. So how many of you are from the West side of the United States? Like for me, I am the West New Mexico. How many of you are from East side, East to East? <laughs> Calm down, everybody. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, how many of you would prefer Coke when you're having a meal or you're just, it's a hot day, you prefer a Coke? Coca-Cola, right? There's a few of you guys. All right. All of you Eastsiders should. Coca-Cola's in Georgia. You guys should all be screaming about that too. Um, Pepsi. How many of you prefer Pepsi? Now, if you're sitting next to somebody who raised their hand for Pepsi, pray for them. We pray that they will be delivered. How many of you would say Dr. Pepper? Like, that's where I'm at. I'm in the camp of Dr. Pepper. (laughs) We are the redeemed. Um, I know 
<laughs> I know uh, football is over and there's a hole in everyone's heart right now. And some of you have heard the news. Tom Brady is possibly signing a four-year agreement. So for four more years, he's going to win. So because all he ever does is win. So um, <laughs> how many of you would say that your favorite team is in the AFC? AFC team. All right. How many of you is from the NFC? There we go. Some, yep. How many of you say you have no idea what I'm talking about? That's me. <laughs> now, don't, don't chastise me. Pray for me. You know, I, I grew up watching baseball and basketball, so I know all of that stuff. I don't know much about football teams and how they're divided. So uh, how many of you would say that going on vacation, you would prefer to go to the beach, right? Like the beach is your favorite thing. Our family loves the beach. How many of you would say going to the mountains and camping and hunting and fishing? Yeah. How many of you say you prefer something else other than that? Yeah, there's a few of you. You don't want to go outside at all. I get it. That's fine. I'm the same way. <laughs> I had a staycation this week, and it was good. How many of you would say bacon is your favorite breakfast meat right now? Yep. Like No contest. Well, guess what? How many of you would say sausage is your favorite breakfast meat? Right now, I'm a big fan of sausage biscuits, so uh, that's where I'm at right now. But here's the point to this exercise. We could do this for the next 30 minutes. We could keep going around asking, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you prefer this? Do you prefer that? But I think what you will notice is that with every question, we all weren't agreeing on one thing. We all didn't raise our hand preferring one thing. We all have our own preferences. We We all like our own thing. But here's one question that we all could get on the same page with. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, how many of you would say that you love Jesus and want to faithfully serve him and follow him today? We could all raise our hand to that. That's something we could all be in agreement about. Here's the point. There's a lot of things that, about us that are different, but there's one thing that should unite us and bring us together, and that is Jesus Christ and his mission See, there are so many things in this world that are trying to tear us apart, illuminate our differences. Politics is pulling us apart. Social media is pulling us apart. Add politics to social media and you have a recipe of disaster right now. You isolate, ev- you isolate everybody. It's the worst thing. Economics pulls us apart. Culture, convictions pull us apart. But the only thing that unites us, the only thing that can bring us together is Jesus and his grace and his mission to redeem people. And Paul is praying for that. And he's going, if it's not for the grace of God, we're not going to make it. And so he's praying for the spirit of unity. But let's face it, that's not always how it works in life, is it? We're not always unified by the things of God's word. Often we like to divide over things. We find our natural tendency is to want to be unified in things of the flesh. To elevate our culture or my standing, my background, my education. Those are the things of the flesh. But Paul is praying for us here. He's saying, above all else, we aren't black or white. We aren't Republican or Democrat. We're not rich or poor, liberal or conservative. We're not American or immigrant. Above all else, who we are is who we are in Christ Jesus. See, it doesn't diminish the fact that we're black or white. It doesn't diminish the fact that we're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. It doesn't diminish any of that. But what it does is it says, above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. And Paul is praying that even in our differences, we would be unified together. You see, there's a lot of talk in our culture about us and them. 
You can pick whatever topic you want, and our culture would love to try to get us in different places and get us all split up and divide over our differences. But what you need to know is that as a follower of Jesus, there's only one us and only one them. Us are those who've experienced God's grace and love and mercies. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And there's only one them, those who need to receive Jesus, who need to experience his grace, his love, his mercy, who need to be bought by the blood of Jesus. And what Ephesians is telling us is that us, those of us in Christ, uh, are united to live on mission for them. And it's been God's plan to change the world. Politics will not change the world. Legislation will not change the world. No matter how much you believe that the person in the White House is going to change the world or you watch CNN and Fox News or Ben Shapiro or any of those, listen, they're not going to change the world. Jesus is the one who will change the world with his gospel through his church unified together. That's what's going to change Clarksville. That's what's going to change the South. And that's what's going to change the world. See, Paul is praying, knowing that the enemy would love to destroy the church because the church is a visible and tangible expression of the eternal plan of God. That every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every person to be born again into one family with one father, expressing our diversity, but enjoying our unity in Christ. So how does this apply to us today? Are you praying that the church be unified? Are you praying for unity in your own life? You know you've got that family member that you need to be praying for unity about. You know there's somebody that you go, man, I don't like uncle so-and-so. I don't like the mother-in-law. You know, whatever it is, you know you need to be praying for unity. We all have that friend that we see them post something on our page or get a text or call and you go, oh, this person again. You know you need to be praying for unity for that person. See, that gossipy neighbor who wants to ruin your reputation, pray for unity with them. That business person, that coworker that's trying to ruin your business or ruin your reputation, pray for unity with them. In fact, Jesus told us this in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say, hey, maybe kind of like your enemies or ignore your enemies. He says, pray for them. Because praying for them means that you want God to bless them. And I don't know anything more countercultural in our world today than responding with evil, with good, by praying for others. And it's so countercultural because it can be one of the hardest things to do, right? Because let's face it, when evil is done to us, what do we want to do? Repay it with more evil. That feels good. When darkness is done to us, we want to repay it with more darkness. The world tells us, whatever happens to you, fight dirty. That's why it takes faith to go against your flesh and against what culture tells you to do and instead trust God and respond with prayer. You fight division for prayer for unity. Is it easy? No. Is it unusual? Yes. Is it a choice? Absolutely. It's your choice to be better and to pray for others and to pray for unity. Paul is praying with unity. So if you're wondering, how do I begin? How do I start praying? Well, this is the first one. Pray with the spirit of unity. Here's the second thing. We should pray urgently and sincerely. Look again at what it says in verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. 
Now, this idea of bowing the knee is a sign of showing honor and respect and submission. But you know what's interesting to me as I read all throughout the Bible? is not once does it say, hey, this is how you physically have to present yourself before the Lord when you come to him in prayer. As you read the Bible, people are praying in all kinds of different postures. Some are praying while they're standing up. Others are praying while they're kneeling down. Some are praying with their hands up in the air. Some are praying with their hands folded. Some are praying while lying down. Others are praying while walking around. There are all kinds of different postures when it comes to prayer. But why is Paul so emphatic about the fact that he's bowing his knees before the Father? Well, it was a common custom in Jewish culture to pray while standing up. In fact, if you ever have the privilege to go over to Jerusalem, you're going to see Jewish people going up to the wailing wall and stand while praying. So kneeling was unusual. And so by doing this, Paul was showing a a sign of sincerity and urgency. In fact, I only see this really two other times in the New Testament. One is in uh, Luke's gospel. Jesus is preparing to die for the sins of the world, and he grabs a couple disciples with him, and he's like, hey, pray with me. You guys pray here, and I'm going to go over here. It's the Gethsemane prayer. And so Jesus goes off by himself, and he starts praying, and he falls to his knees, and he's humbly and, and sincerely and urgently crying out to God. He's praying that this cup of suffering, of torture, of death would pass over him. He's praying so humbly and sincerely and urgently that it says dots of red blood were coming down his forehead. And of course, we all know how it goes. Jesus, that doesn't happen. God couldn't find another way to unite mankind to himself. And so it had to come through Jesus. But Jesus prayed sincerely and urgently. In Acts, you can see the story of Stephen. He's the first martyr or the first one to be killed uh, because he was preaching the good news of Jesus. And what we see in Acts is that his accusers bring them all out and they're about to stone him. And what does Stephen do? He bows his knees and he's crying out to God urgently. He's praying for them. Now listen, I'm not Stephen and I'm not praying urgently for them. I'm gonna pray that the stones feel like marshmallows. I'm gonna pray that uh, God zaps them all and I can get up and kind of dust myself off and leave. Like I'm not about that. But Stephen, he's praying urgently and sincerely that, they, that God would forgive them and that he would save them. So when Paul here says in verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father, Paul has a sense of passion and intensity and urgency to get onto his knees and cry out to God. See, when it comes to your own life, when do you pray the most? I think I could answer that for you. When everything feels like it's the most urgent, right? See, when everything is good in life, job's good, kids are good, marriage is good, health is good, You know what you can find it very easy to do? Not pray. But when you get the call from the doctor's office and you're told you only have six months to live, or when you're served those divorce papers or you lose that job or you're dealing with the death of the loved one, you know what you just became? A prayer warrior. You might not have found time yesterday to pray, but you found time today. Not only that, but you're blowing up everybody's phone that you know. You're saying, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Because your situation just got so urgent. And listen to me when I say this. You should do those things. When everything seems to be falling apart in your life, you should be praying urgently and sincerely. But listen, don't take prayer for granted. We should always be praying sincerely and urgency, even when life is good. 
And maybe you're here today and everything is good in your life. But maybe today, whether it's here at church or at home, what you need to do is you just need to get down on your knees and you need to humbly and cry out to God and say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I've become cold and apathetic. I haven't treated prayer the way that I need to. There's no sincerity. There's no urgency. Make today the day that that all stops. And maybe you're here and you're going through something. Make today the day that you are just humbly and urgently crying out to God to hear your prayers. We need to pray with sincerity and urgency, just like Paul is doing here. Here's the third thing. We should pray confidently. Look at verse 17. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is, is praying and what he's getting at here in these verses is that you are extremely loved by God. In fact, I read a quote this week that said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You are, because of Jesus, loved by your Father. And Paul is just praying here. If you only understood a teaspoon of how much God loves you, you would run into his presence and pray with confidence. But the reason why many of us don't pray with confidence is because we think, well, you know, I've done some, certain, I've done some things in my life. You know, if God only knew that I did this, if I did that, I mean, I can't go to God. What are you talking about? I can't go to him at all. I can't talk to him. If I even just started, dear Jesus, he would strike me dead right there. I can't go to God at all. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you are in Christ Jesus, it's not, he loves you not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, you are loved and are a child of God. See, God knows how we were. He knows what we are, and he knows what our lives will be like in the future. God knows everything. He sees it all. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we've ever thought about doing, and everything we ever will do in our lives. And even though he sees it all, he says, I am satisfied with you. Because I am satisfied with my son, Jesus. I'm satisfied because Jesus has come to this earth and died and his blood was shed and you have been bought back to me. You are now my son or my daughter. You are my child. And so God would say to you, when he looks at you, I don't see your failures. I don't see your sins. I don't see your mistakes. I see my son, Jesus. And I am pleased. Do you approach God with a sense of confidence? Or do you awkwardly, maybe even sheepishly, self-consciously approach God. Wondering, does God really want to hear from me? Does God really want to talk to me right now? Know this, there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants to talk with you. Here's the fourth thing. We should pray expectantly. Every time we pray, we should pray believing that God can and will do what God said he can and will do. 
Look at verse 20. It says, now. And Paul's like, now that I'm praying with a sense of unity, now that I'm praying with urgency and sincerely, now that I'm praying confidently, now I'm going to pray expectantly. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could think or ask according to the power at works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Paul is praying here, expecting God to show up. He's modeling for us that we should, when we ask God something, we should expect God to show up. God wants us to wait patiently for him to answer our prayer. But he also wants us to wait expectantly to have faith and to trust that we're going to get an answer from God. And when you expectantly wait on God, you're showing him that you're trusting the promises of God. You believe he is going to keep his word. You may have noticed in our lobby, there have been a few changes that we've made. And one of the things when you walk right in, you'll see the awakened arrows on the wall. And uh, what we said at the beginning of this year was this venue was an answer to prayer. We've been praying for this for years and years and years. And what we said was this wasn't the finish line. We weren't at the end. We're really at the starting point. There's a lot more that God's wanting to do. But we were praising God because he answers prayer. And we are visibly in an answered prayer. And so what we wanted to do is just not say, hey, this is where it stops. We want it to be visible all the time. And so what you'll notice is that we'll have that logo up on the wall, but it has little marbles with it. And each one represents something. It represents those who've been baptized, those who've given their life to the Lord and answered prayers. And maybe today you came in and you're just wondering, is God really good? I'm a little dead. I feel a little dry right now. I don't know that I can keep going. And so you've walked in today and I hope what you saw is that God is still moving. God is still working and God is very much alive and he is working in our lives among us right now. And so for us, that is a visible reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. He keeps his word. But listen, hurry is the death of prayer. In our world today, it feels like there's all kinds of pressure to get things done in a hurry. So many times we're so revved up, we can't slow down enough to listen to what God would say to us. See, we live in a fast food, microwave, give it to me now culture, right? And sometimes we treat our prayers just like that. We're praying for our marriage to get better, but when it's not happening in our timing, we just kind of stop and we, keep, we, we don't even pray anymore. We're praying for our careers. Do I move up? Do I change jobs? But when nothing's happening, we just kind of stop praying. We're praying for our kids. Why? Because our kids need prayer, right? And so when things aren't happening in our timeline or when things aren't going our way, we stop praying. And because things haven't happened in our timeline or things aren't lining up with what we think, we just kind of stop believing that God's going to move. We stop expecting God to give us an answer. But we need to remember to slow down. Take time to hear from God and keep expecting to get an answer. God will show up. Listen, you may not get the answer today. You might not get the answer tomorrow. You might not get the answer this week, this month, or this year. But don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Keep praying. Because listen, God is a good God, and he knows what's best for us, and he will answer our prayers. See, when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you would like them to be answered, you need to remember that God is in control and you're not. And because of that, he knows what you need better than what you know you need. 
See, there have been things in my own life that I've prayed for that I thought would be good for me. I've prayed to get certain jobs or prayed to get into certain schools or quite frankly, there were times that I think I should have failed tests in college and I asked the Lord to change the answers. And one day I'm going to ask him, did you ever just change the answer so I'd pass the test? I've been praying for a new GMC truck, quite frankly, too. And some of you be like, wow, that's pretty superficial. No, I'm, I'm praying for those kinds of things. I, I'm praying to God for things that all kinds of things that I think I should have or things that I think I should have had. Even this week is a tough week for our family because this is a week that we're reminded that uh, my mom died of breast cancer six years ago. And so it's a tough week because it's a reminder of God, why would you not answer this prayer? This seems like a slam dunk of a prayer. This seems like a prayer that you would be like, oh yeah, this makes complete sense. Now God did heal her a couple times. There were a few times that she came back, but ultimately it was the thing that took her life. And there'd be times that I'd be like, God, she was so young. I was just starting to have kids. My kids really won't ever know her. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And I don't think that I'll ever understand this side of heaven, why he took her when he took her. But I do know she's healed. And I do know she's better. And I may not understand things this side of heaven, but what I found out is that God is in control. He knows things better than I do. And even when I don't understand the reason behind each answer, I know that God has my best interest. See, we need, when we pray, we need to remember that there is not a mountain too tall that God cannot move. There's not a problem too big that he can't solve. And there's no pain too deep that he cannot ease. And whether or not you receive the answer that you wanted to receive here on earth, God will honor your patience, if not in this world, then in eternity. So are you connected to God through the power of prayer? When everything in your life seems to be going out, you have a blackout in your life, are you praying? Are you connected to that power source of God through prayer? Prayer is something that I think we all would agree that, man, I could be a little bit better at. But I hope through Paul's words here, through his prayer, we could learn to pray like Paul prays. We need to remember that we don't have to have a pre-planned prayer. We don't have to be poetic when we pray. We don't even have to talk in complete sentences. We just need to talk to God like we would talk to someone else. But just like with any conversation, sometimes we just need to stop and listen to God and hear what he would speak to us. And so maybe you're here today And you just need to kind of start your prayer life. Start talking to God. Make today the day that you do have that conversation with him. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your life, you're you're a person headed for hell, then today I want to give you an opportunity to pray the most important prayer that you'll ever pray, and that is for forgiveness for your sins. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.